Life Audio. Hello, welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we discuss powerful truths to counter anxiety and fear, big and small. At Holy Love Ministries, we are passionate about helping God's children discover, embrace, and experience soul-deep emotional and spiritual freedom, and we want to inspire you to share that freedom with others. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn about one of our upcoming events, how to book one of our speakers for your next event, or simply how to connect with us. Before we begin today's discussion, I wanted to share about a fun giveaway I am hosting in December. I will be selecting one person randomly from my newsletter subscriber list to receive a book bundle. In that bundle includes Stand in Confidence by Amanda Pittman, Remaining You While Raising Them, The Secret Art of Confident Motherhood by Allie Worthington, Rooted, A Girlfriend Gathering Study of Philippians by Becky Harling, Better Than Okay, Finding Hope and Healing After Your Marriage Ends by Brandy Wilson, and A Faith That Will Not Fail by Michelle Couchette. If you are not a subscriber, you still have time to subscribe to my newsletter and get in on the drawing. You can do so by visiting my website, Jennifer Slattery Lives Out Loud. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and if you have joined us for the past couple episodes, then perhaps you've been contemplating opposition that you've been facing in your life, or maybe that you faced in the past, or maybe you've been preparing for opposition that we know is going to come as followers of Jesus. None of us enjoy opposition. It can cause a lot of our insecurities to rise up, and we might feel when we're trying to do whatever God is calling us to do, and something's coming against us, we might feel as if we're we're all alone and therefore we don't have what we need to be successful. But that is a lie because we know that God is always with us and he always finishes what he begins. I brought Karen back with us today, Karen Whiting. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. 
Oh, thanks for having me again. So Karen Whiting is an international speaker, former television host, and author of 34 books, including Bible Studies and Stories of Faith and Courage from the Homefront, From the French and Indian Wars to the Wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. She and her late husband raised five children as they moved around the country while he served in the U.S. Coast Guard. She enjoys time with her children and her grandkids. Karen also enjoys travel and adventures like camel riding in the Canary Islands, whitewater rafting, in Australia, scuba diving off Bermuda's coast and exploring archaeology sites in Italy. And I brought her on because she's done extensive research on Nehemiah, which is part of our two-part conversation. We've been talking about Ezra and Nehemiah, two books in scripture. For those of you unfamiliar with Old Testament history, basically the nation of Israel had been living in exile for 70 years. And now it comes time for them to return. God is bringing them back. And we discussed last time he did this in a miraculous way. First with Ezra, the king, King Cyrus, he said, hey, I'm giving you just massive supplies. I'm going to give you workers to also help you on this journey. They return, they start strong, and then they stall, which we'll talk about that in a moment. And then we that's when Nehemiah comes in and God burdens his heart for what's going on to rebuild in Jerusalem and the king. So he was a cupbearer to the king and the king he was serving under gives Nehemiah his blessing and his royal, basically his royal authority, his protection, everything says, okay, go back. And I'm going to make sure you have the timber. I'm going to make sure you're safe on the way back. And then he arrives. Now what we've done, which hopefully isn't too confusing, we've combined these two stories, even though they occurred at different points in history, because we're looking at parallels in their story. We talked about the setup last time and things that maybe challenged their obedience, made it hard to step out internal opposition that they might have faced that might have made it hard for them to obey. And then now we're going to look at some of the external opposition they faced first with Ezra and then also with Nehemiah as they're embarking on this massive project. Karen, can you take us, so when it gets to time for them to build the altar, which is amazing that they did this first. Amazing, but needed. You know, they built that altar because they know they have to first give thanks to God. They have to glorify him. They have to worship him. So they do that. And the people are there because that point of worship is the point that would have had them remembering God, not looking at any opposition. So they do that. They build that. And they get going on the building when all of a sudden enemies come in and they say, hey, we'll help you. But they were not the people called to build. And they said, no, they really didn't want to help them. They wanted to subvert the mission. And what's important for us to recognize with this. I lead a ministry, a parachurch women's ministry, and you always have more need than you have hands to fill, like them volunteers to fill. That will always be the case. Even when God brings more volunteers, it seems like he expands. Like Jesus said, the the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. I've just learned you always have more to do. And it can be really tempting when you're looking at a really big project and you're wanting to get it done, maybe on a certain timetable and all your insecurities are rising up. What if I can't do this? What if I fail? This is too challenging. What if I don't have the help? And then it's tempting to accept whatever help you can get. And we have to be really careful who we align with when we're doing these really big projects, because not everybody is serving out of the right motives. And I think it's the same when it comes to family, who we allow to kind of speak into our family or 
our friends, like are our friends who are giving us advice, are they pointing us to God? Are they really wanting to rebuild godly foundations in our life? Or are they saying, Hey, I just think you should leave your husband. You know, what are, are they really helping or do they maybe have either ulterior motives or maybe they're just not wise in their advice because they don't have that relationship right. With and God. we see that in the words, because they said in Ezra 4, 2, let us build with you for we worship your God just as you do. We have sacrificed to him. And they talk about when they knew, no, you're not. It's not the same God that you're serving and you're mixed in with those idols. We are serving the true God and you will have nothing to do with us. And they replied, you may have no part in this work for we have nothing in common. And they're wiping out and saying, no, they didn't say you don't have the same God. They just said, we have nothing in common. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with the story, basically what she is referencing there is the people. So they wanted to bring worship of creator God along with false gods. And so right. they were, which was pretty common back in that day. Like they would just tag on. Actually, I think we kind of do that today too. We'll just tag on God to all of our, we don't worship quote unquote idols, but anything we place our security in other than Jesus Christ is an idol. And a lot mm -hmm. of times we want to tag God on to our false securities. And the people are saying, no, we are rebuilding this city on a sure foundation. Even if we have less help by telling these people, no, we are going to choose to do it God's way because if we do it God's way, God will do it for us. Right. And that's where another aspect of that story, a principle I think we can pull from is the people didn't accept the wrong help, those who were actually trying to sabotage their mission. And we need to recognize that we have to be discerning, but they did accept help from those who were in alignment, who God had called and accepting help can be challenging, especially after. So by the time Nehemiah comes, they have stopped the building project for a considerable amount of time. That would have felt like failure, probably. I mean, it could have felt like failure. And yet Zerubbabel, who is one of the leaders of this project, he wasn't offended when Nehemiah came and offered help. And here's what's important with this that I have to remind myself of. Whatever God is calling me to do, unhealed failures can lead to offense and distrust. That's why mm -hmm. it's so important when we do quote unquote fail, although I, I think we have to reframe we, the only time we fail is when we disobey God. Anytime we obey God, no matter what happens, it's success, right? But when we feel like we've failed or even when we've disobeyed God, right? We, we process through that. We heal it so that we can then accept whatever the next step in the journey is with grace and with confidence and with peace. And when also when pride rises up within us, we tend to make ourselves bigger than the project. And that also leads to distrust, increased defensiveness, and a tendency to become easily offended. And I don't see that in the leaders of this project. And had they demonstrated that, it just tends to create toxicity when a it leader... <laughs> yes. I think we have all seen that. And we've seen also times when you can hand the baton over graciously and it works out. And I can remember working with a teen puppet ministry that my older daughter started, but then she went off to college. And as my younger daughter comes up along and we've 
built a way to train those younger ones to take over some of the roles of the leadership. And they really wanted to take over more. And I thought, that's what we want. We want to have you become leaders. And so my husband and I said, we'll step back and be advisors. But yes, you lead, you lead those meetings and, and figure out what we're going to do for the shows and all. And that's what we have to be willing to do. And that's what you see when Nehemiah comes. They worked in such unity. And that's what we need to have is always say, is this my job? Or is it somebody else's responsibility? I think we also see in Nehemiah, we see incredible humility. And I'm struck by the best leaders also know how to follow. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when we're experiencing opposition, whether it's within our family, our organizations, in ministry, in our churches, wherever we're encountering it, fear can cause us to fight for control. Mm-hmm. And we may think the leader above us is not doing what they should be doing. And if that's true, then the proper thing is to really pray through that because God really values leadership. And so it's, we have to be really, really careful. God might call us to have a conversation with the leader. He he does on occasion do that, but we have to be really careful that he's calling it, that that's really God doing it. And we can see how all of the men leading this movement were really humble. Nehemiah was humble under the, the king, which then helped prepare him for leadership. And then when he comes in, Zerubbabel and Ezra are humble to accept the help and we also see, so if you're familiar with scripture, there is a man, it's ancient Israel's second king, and we see with him before he rose to the throne, he was under another king, and God used that to to build and to train him. And then we also see this in kind of the building of leadership through humility in a man named Joseph, who was, he was a Hebrew who was enslaved and then unjustly imprisoned, and then he ultimately rose to second in command in all of Egypt. And so we see this principle throughout scripture to lead well you need this humility and this humility is often grown through difficulty through being under another leader and i'm going to keep bringing it back to what you pointed out earlier karen really placing our security and the success of whatever is going before us the project placing that in god's hands not in our hands yes and communication and we have to know if we really want the building that whatever the project whatever the calling is to go forward, we have to be able to listen to God, listen to the other people and communicate to them and to God and to do it together. Right. Because we will face opposition and we might face opposition for a considerable amount of time. You mentioned briefly when you kind of gave us this big picture overview of everything that occurred, how they started They first experienced covert, what I would call covert opposition, and then the opposition, it ramped up. So where their opponents tried to frighten them, to intimidate them, they bribed agents to work against them. They wrote a letter to Persia's next king, basically calling them a rebellious, troublemaking nation that would dishonor him and cost him land and revenue. And the important part, I think, for us to recognize in that in that part of the story, when people want to oppose us, when they are determined to oppose, when they're determined to oppose the things of God is what I would probably, whatever it is, then they 
they might turn to others. They might try to, it's called triangulation where you try to get others on your side and they may not even recognize that they're doing it. They may not, they might actually think Jesus said in the gospels, people will come against you and they'll actually think that they're doing the right thing. This is especially true if you're trying to break generational dysfunction and you're the first person in your family to go to therapy and get healthy. Other family members might actually think you're doing harm. They might not understand. And mm-hmm. and then they might pull people together to try to to stop you from taking this this journey. And I think just recognizing we can't change other people's hearts, right? We when that opposition comes, it's not effective to sit there and argue with them and to fight with them. Yeah. We can equip them though to help them resist the opposition too. You get to Nehemiah, the enemies start the same tactics. You know, they're going to scare them. They're going to ridicule them. They're going to actually try to attack them. But Nehemiah doesn't let any gap happen. He immediately stands there and says, okay, we're going to have one person working while the other one stands with weapons. So you will feel secure and we will take turns doing this. To me, that's actually reminds me of a prayer partnership. (laughs) When you have somebody praying while you're going through a hard struggle and and vice versa. And when they try to use devious means and get Nehemiah, actually try to get him as a leader to go into the temple when he's not allowed to be in there. And he says, no, no, I can't do that. God will not have me do it. And you're not going to make me. And the people saw he was upright, that he continued with any opposition to have an answer for those people. Do you know how long it took them to rebuild that wall? Like 20 days or something, or 50 days? 52 days. 52 days, right. Okay. It was very quick after all that time on the temple because he kept them focused and he stopped every time there was opposition and gave them a reason that they could keep moving forward and equipped them with prayer or, you know, somebody right there helping to guard. And I think that's what we have to think about is, you know, equip me, God, I have this obstacle. Or is there somebody here who can be that prayer person for me while I move forward? And I love how you talked about how quickly it occurred under Nehemiah, his part of the project prior. And and we discussed this briefly, but prior it had like, they, they experienced, the people experienced opposition to their rebuilding for almost a decade and a half. And the longer we experience opposition, the harder I think it is to persevere. That's when we will doubt can begin to crop up, we'll get fatigued, we'll maybe get discouraged. And so I loved also what you focused on when we reach that we will reach a place where we're discouraged. I mean, we just, we just absolutely will. And so we need those times. I I actually, not long ago, I went to, it was a communicators retreat and it's a bunch of women Christ followers who are actively serving Jesus in some way in, in some communicate, it's like podcasting, speaking, writing, that sort of thing. And it's a time where we'd come together and we worship and we pray and there's speakers with inspiring messages. We're not there to learn. We're, we're not there to network. We're not there to, to do anything except refuel. And every time I go, I always arrive exhausted, honestly, because living for Jesus is really hard. It can be really tiring. And especially in these days and age, it feels like there's always, it just, it feels challenging and discouraging at times. And it's tempting to think, I don't have time. I don't have time to go to this. We drove. So it was a two-day drive when you're already kind of tired and maybe 
overburdened. You've got this big project ahead of you. It can feel tempting to say, I'm just going to just, I don't, I'm going to push through. I don't have time to kind of connect with my soul the way that I need or the way that I want, but there's something powerful about taking that time where we find people who are in the throes with us kind of in a similar journey and not coming up together to complain about how terrible we have it because that doesn't help anybody coming together to, like you said, prop one another up with prayer and say, you are doing God's work. You are doing a good job. Keep going. You can do this. God is with you. We need those people who can encourage us in our journey. Yes. And, and, you know, Nehemiah did that when they had opposition within. After they built the wall, he looks around and realizes that some of the people are really upset because they were so poor. They had to enslave their children too because of loans that had usury, too much interest on them from the richer Jews that were there, that they were not getting along. There was disunity. He calls them all back together and said, this is not right. These are your people. You have enslaved their children. That's the legacy. That's the next generation. And they all said, oh, we'll stop. We'll give it all back. We won't do this. And they did that. And there are times that a great leader will call the people and say, there's a problem here. You have been called to do this work. You did a great work. We haven't dedicated that wall yet, but you built it. And now we need to have unity again, not just for the building project, but now for our hearts and for us to be together as a people. And I think that is so great to have. That's what we need in our restoration to all of a sudden say, where have we used and abused each other? that we have to forgive and take a step back and say, we're not going to do that again. That's a really good point. And everything we do today, every step we take today builds into who we become tomorrow. And so when we make the hard right choice, like you were talking about him stepping in and saying, hey, things are, are wrong here. This is not how God wants. And we're going to shift things that can be really challenging. Like, let's just say in a, in a family and you're saying, you know, we have maybe not gone to church on Sundays for 10 years, and we're going to try to shift that. It can feel really challenging to shift your family's culture, but it's never too late. The story reminds us a couple of things. It's never too late to begin again because the project had stopped for a decade and a half. And sometimes I think we can think, well, it's too late. My kid's, my kid's a teenager or it's too late. My, my mom and I haven't talked in 20 years. It's never too late to begin again and to begin the right way. And regardless of how the other person responds, regardless how things turn out, we are building into our character. So when we quit today, it makes it easier to quit tomorrow when things get hard. When we persevere today, we build our perseverance for tomorrow. When we take the courageous step and we do the hard right thing today, then it makes us even more courageous for whatever we're going to face tomorrow. And it certainly does. And that's where once you can identify a problem and say, what can we do? And let's make this commitment. It's not easy to put the, each step forward to do that commitment. And yet something sparks us to do it. And that's where some of those retreats can be. That's when you realize I need to change and do this and let me make that commitment. But you, then you have to put it into practice every day. True. And I think we're, when we're in that really hard place, 
we can do a couple things where we're, we're in that, that rebuilding phase and we're experiencing opposition. There are things we can do to kind of bolster our souls with strength. So we can look back on all the ways that God has provided and helped us in the past. And even with scripture, because scripture says that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So we can also recognize his character for like stories like today. And the people who are rebuilding, they could look back on God's miraculous provision in it's listed in Ezra chapter one and two, and then with Nehemiah's journey and how God again showed miraculous intervention and provision, they could look back and say, okay, it's hard right now, but look what God did. This is who my God is. And then we can hold tight to truth. And one thing I love about this story. Some of you may have heard the verse. If you're familiar with scripture, you might've heard the verse where it said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. And that is in, it's in Zacharias. It's removed, we think from this story, if we're just reading kind of, if we're just in Zechariah, but Zechariah, the prophet was speaking courage and encouragement to Zerubbabel during, in this rebuilding process. And scholars say this is part Partially between Zechariah and there was another prophet named Haggai, they believe it was their words that got the people building again. And so what this says to me, one, I need to make sure I'm reading scripture because that's how God encourages me when things are challenging. And then two, when God does speak something through scripture, through a sermon, through a podcast, make note of it and then reflect on what I knew he was saying to me, because I think sometimes we can downplay, God can give us this message and it can hit us really hard. We're like, I know that was his word to me. And then time goes on and we talk ourselves out of that really being from God. Right. And that's why if we can write it down and reflect upon that later, God did call me to this. God did tell me he'd be with me through this. And think about the people, because under Nehemiah, when we get to chapter eight, a beautiful, beautiful chapter, they read, Ezra is the one who reads the law, the word of God to the people, and they weep and they realize their sinfulness and their own heart conditions. And all they want to do is weep. And Nehemiah stops and says, no, the joy of the Lord, his word, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's time to celebrate. It's time for the Feast of Tabernacles. It's time to build booths. It's time to give, celebrate. And he switches that around for them to realize, don't just be in despair because you heard the word. Now rejoice because you heard the word, because you were convicted, because you want to change. Let's rejoice. That's a really good point. I would love to end with this because I was speaking actually today with a woman who some of her kids are following Christ and some have chosen not to. And she could think of all the things she did as a mom that she felt, I, sh- I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. I should have, I should not have done this. And I thought of her when you, when you talked about that, because the people, they had already paid for their sin. Basically, they had already experienced the consequences, the 70 years of exile, just like scripture had prophesied not to punish them. God was using that to transform them. We don't have a punishing God. We have a transforming, loving father. That time was done. And yes, their sin had led to the wreckage of their city, but there comes a time when we can either live in guilt and regret and condemnation like the weeping you talked about, or this woman talking, thinking through all of the reasons why, how she felt she had failed in this, in her relationships there. Or we can say, okay, that's done. I honestly acknowledge 
where I need to grow and what I need to do different. That's healthy. Mm -hmm. But now I'm going to move forward and I'm going to celebrate that God is bringing me to beauty and to wholeness and, and to a rebuilt for them. It was city for us. It's maybe life or marriage or job, whatever he's calling us to do to keep moving forward. We're Karen. Thank you again for for joining us for yet another episode. I enjoyed our conversation. You gave me a lot to think about. Well, thanks for having me on. I, I really do love Nehemiah, my favorite book of the Old Testament, and Ezra, which leads into Nehemiah. So it's been a joy to talk about these. So for those of our listeners who maybe didn't hear last episode, can you briefly tell us about, I know you've got a lot of books, so just tell us about one of your books. All right. Let me talk about growing a peaceful heart because restoration needs peace. You know, we have to let go of the things that are the past that you were just talking about with this woman. We have to embrace the hope that we have of the future. And that's what I do in that book of Growing a Joyful Heart, which is a devotional. So there's 30 weeks and each week has a different focus on peace, whether it's inner peace, peace in relationships, or becoming a peacemaker for others, because Nehemiah was certainly a peacemaker. That's what we want to strive for. And so I think it's good to be equipped and be ready to say, all right, I've done this. And now, even if I've been wrong, what I want to do is change. And I want to be a peacemaker. Beautiful. Well, to our listeners, thank you for listening. I hope all of our episodes on opposition helped you because again, we will face opposition living for Jesus. However, that looks, whether that's we're teachers or we're managers or we're parents or we're Sunday school teachers, whatever it is God's calling us to do, it's going to be challenging. And our and every time we move forward, we advance God's kingdom. We bring be- every time we bring beauty and life and order into the world, then we will experience opposition because we do have an enemy that doesn't want beauty and life and joy expanding in the world. So hopefully you got some things that you can maybe tuck in your pocket that you can draw strength on next time as you continue to live out whatever God is calling you to do. Well, thank you for listening. I hope this gave you some encouragement, maybe some things to think about, maybe an invitation just to invite God into whatever you're struggling with this week, this month. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe and then you won't miss a single episode. We'd also be encouraged if you would rate it. That encourages our team and it helps others to find it as well. Make sure to share it wherever you share your podcast content. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Faith Over Fear is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, or art to make, or perhaps businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. If you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform today or lifeaudio.com.